Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, to enable public participation, SFGovTV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. For those persons uh, participating via WebEx, you will need to raise your hand when public comment is called for the item you are interested in speaking to. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, WebEx has thrown us a new curveball to deal with. So follow these instructions carefully and they will be posted on um, the stream or uh, television screen. Uh, you'll continue to call the phone number 415-655-0001. You will enter access code 2481-585-0572, then press pound. You will now need to enter a password and today's password is 01 05 and then press pound. At this point, you should be able to listen uh, to the hearing live. We ask that you wait for the item you are interested in speaking to and for public comment to be announced. In order to get into the queue for public comment, you must enter star three to raise your hand. Once you've raised your hand, you will hear a prompt you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. So here is the other curveball. Once you hear the prompt that you are being asked to unmute yourself, to unmute, press star six. You must enter star six in order to unmute you, okay? When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. Yes, uh, for the first hearing in 2023, we needed it more complicated uh, than ever uh, for this remote hearing. Best practices are to call from a quiet location. Please mute the volume on your television or computer. Speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, at this time, I'd like to call roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Koppel. Here. And Commissioner Ruiz. Here. Thank you, commissioners. We do expect Commissioners Diamond and Imperial to be absent today. First on your agenda is consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item one, case number 2022-001764, CUA at 434 Cortland Street, a conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to January 12th, 2023. Item two, case number 2022-009366, PCA for the penalties for code enforcement, planning and building code amendments. Uh, is proposed for continuance to January 19th, 2023. 
Items 3A and B for case numbers 2022-009805 PCA and 2022-011868 PCA for the Home SF Planning Code Amendments are proposed for continuance to February 16th, 2023. Further commissioners, under your regular calendar, we received a late request for continuance on item 12 for case number 2020-010275 ENX at 98 Pennsylvania Street, a large project authorization. The request is from the project sponsor to continue working with um, members of the community. And my understanding is both persons or both parties are in agreement uh, to continue to February 9th, 2023. I have no other items proposed to be continued. And so we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to speak, uh, submit your testimony related to any of the items proposed to be continued. Uh, you need to press star three if you're calling in uh, using a phone. You need to, or excuse me, if you're calling in, you need to press star three. If you're using WebEx, you need to raise your hand. Thank you, Commissioners. John Kevlin here with Ruben, Junius, and Rose uh, regarding the 98 Pennsylvania continuance. I think we've had a little bit of a miscommunication with the Petrero boosters. Uh, we've been in touch with them to date. Um, there's a couple of other items to continue working through. I was speaking with Miss um, Heath this morning. We're going to meet at their meeting later this month, and then we'll be ready, uh, hopefully with everyone on the same page, uh, back to you on February 9th. So thank you for this consideration of the continuance request. Okay, last call for public comment on the continuance calendar. Seeing no additional request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and uh, your continuance calendar is now before you. All right, Jonas, just wanted to ask, um, I don't know if the you, you mentioned that the instructions for calling in and raising your hand would be displayed. Should I have seen that displayed just now or was that not displayed? You, Only uh, you would not be able to see it unless you're streaming the hearing uh, through SFGov TV or watching it on television. Okay, great. So I just wanted to just double check on that. Thank you again for your team's work um, on today's hearing and even yesterday for the HPC. Oh, and just in, in also the room 400 has been posted that this hearing is remote, uh, but media services was kind enough to open the chambers. And so if anyone does come to city hall, they are able to view and listen to the proceedings on the television screens although they would still need to call in to submit their testimony. So thank you, SFGov TV and Media Services for that assistance. Yes, definitely, definitely. Thank you all. Uh, Commissioner Moore, or sorry, Commissioner Koppel and then Commissioner Moore. Yeah, I just wanted to make a motion to approve the items as stated, or continue the items as stated. I'll second. Second. That. Second. Great. Thank you, Moore. commissioners, on that motion then to continue all items as proposed. Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So move commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero and will place us under Commission Matters, item four, the land acknowledgement. 
thank you. Getting my practice, finding my WebEx mute button um, and unmute button again. Um, thank you, commissioners and members of the public as we uh, happily end acknowledgement. The Planning Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni or the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. And we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First People. Thank you. Thank you. Item five, consideration of adoption draft minutes for December 8th, 2022, and the draft minutes for December 15th, 2022. Members of the public, this is again, your opportunity to address the commission on the minutes. Again, you need to raise your hand via WebEx or press star three if you're calling in. We'll give people a little bit more time to do so if they care to on all items. Um, seeing no requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and the minutes are now before you. Thank you. Is there a motion on the minutes for discussion? I move to adopt the minutes. Second. 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 Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to adopt the minutes. Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner? Aye. So moved, Commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero and places on item six, Commission comments and questions. Thank you. Commissioner Moore, did you have a comment or question? Uh, yes, I do. Happy New Year to everybody first. Uh, and secondly, uh, it came to my attention that on Tuesday, the 3rd of January, the Planning Commission made a, the Planning Department made a presentation to the Board of Appeals uh, and it included a review of state housing legislation, including state density bonus SB 35 and AB 2011 and SB 330. Uh, can the commission uh, get a presentation like it in the ever-changing uh, world of state legislation? It would be helpful to stay on top of what's going on and allow us to hear the same presentation. Commissioner, sure, we can, we can, I think we've given you elements of that presentation in the past, but happy to one first, we can send you the presentation that, that we gave to the Board of Appeals. And if you would like the same presentation, happy to do that as well. The problem for us, Director Ellis, I'm going to see you again, even in the Blue Lagoon there, uh, uh, is that things are changing so rapidly sure. that we often lose track. This is not our day-to-day -day, uh, conversation, and uh, as we have irregularly spaced discussions on it, it would help a lot. I think at least it sure. would help me speaking for myself. I would that. support that, Commissioner Moore. It's great to get kind of a primer of what we can expect, to what's, what laws are in effect now, and kind of how things have changed. It, never seems to get more simple. So um, <laughs> it's, it's good right. to have that. I would just second Commissioner Moore and just saying Happy New Year to everyone. Um, thank you commissioners for meeting online. I think um, in light of all of the weather that we've been having, it proved very prudent. Um, so hopefully everyone is staying safe. And just wanna thank all of our first responders and other emergency staff who are helping 
um, our city and our residents through the storm and just hope that everyone can continue to be mindful. Please use 311 for non-emergencies, use 911 for emergencies, um, and just really don't go out uh, in the, when the weather is bad if you don't have to. This can help keep yourself safe and prevent our first responders from having to get out there um, and, and rescue you if you need it or, or deal with any other issues. So hopefully everyone's um, staying safe and I guess and we'll see if the drought's over uh, at the end of this. But welcome back everybody. Okay, if there's no further commissioners wishing to speak at this time, we can move on to item seven for case number 2021-009977-CRV for um, your adoption of remote hearings uh, to allow us to meet remotely as we are today uh, when no commissioner can come into City Hall. Uh, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on the resolution to continue remote hearings when necessary. Um, you need to press star three or raise your hand. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and the proposed resolution is now before you. Mr. Moore? Uh, move to adopt or support the resolution, please. Second. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion then to adopt the resolution to allow remote hearings when necessary. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Aye. And Commissioner President Tanner? Aye. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously five to zero, placing us on de under department matters for item eight, director's announcements. Good afternoon, commissioners, and happy new year. Uh, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your break. Two two quick updates. Um, first on the citywide cultural resources survey work that we are undertaking. I just want to let you know that we um, hit a milestone yesterday where we actually started the field sur field survey portion of our work. Um, obviously, it was not the greatest day to start that work out in the field, but but we did start. I think we're taking a break today. Um, and we we started in Japantown. We'll next move to neighborhood commercial districts throughout the city. And we expect this work to take about three to four years to complete the entire city. But it's a big milestone. We've talked about this survey for decades. So it's good to, to get underway on the field survey portion of it. <clears throat> and then second on the housing element, one again, thank you for all the work in guidance um, in direction, you, you know, the work you did last year in getting us to an approval. I did want to let you know that the appeal period for the housing element, housing element EIR expired the Monday before Christmas and we didn't receive an appeal. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll move next to the Board of Supervisors. This The schedule remains the same, although, you know, they won't have the need to, to take up an appeal. Just to remind you of the schedule, we're expecting to be at Land Use Committee at the Board on the 23rd and then to the full Board on the 24th and 31st, hopefully then signed by the Mayor on the 31st and approved by HCD that same day, if not, uh, kind of the next day. So that's the schedule. And that's all I have. Thanks. Thank you, Director Hill. If I did have a question, if we had received any, had received or expect to receive any further feedback from HCD, and my understanding was the changes we made were in response to kind of their last round of comments and had already been vetted with them in collaboration with staff, but just curious if we expect to hear anything from them before, you know, the board approves and mayor signs um, the housing element. 
Yeah, we don't, I mean, they certainly could make additional comments and you're right, we did, you know, the changes we made were in response to their comments. So we have sent uh, what, what you all adopted to them for their final comment in review. We hope that's what the board ultimately approves and that they can approve it, seeing that that we believe we addressed their comments uh, from the last round in that iteration. So we're not expecting to hear more, but we could. Okay, great, thank you. Commissioner Moore? Uh, if there, just in case there could be changes or additional questions, would you please keep us posted uh, of what direction they are turning? Absolutely, we'll let you know and we'll send you an email once we get any word from them on potential changes or or their approval. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, commissioners, if there's nothing further under director's announcements, we can move on to item nine, review of past events at the Board of Supervisors, Board of Appeals, and the Historic Preservation Commission. The Board of Supervisors have not met this week yet, and the Board of Appeals had no items of interest to the Planning Commission. The Historic Preservation Commission did meet yesterday remotely as well. Um, and after some experiencing some technical difficulties and getting a very late start, we were able to have a hearing and um, they heard informational presentations on the African-American Historic Context Statement and on the Mills Act program. Um, I would also like to advise the commissions that I've received word from media services that indeed this is being broadcast in our chambers and that um, no one is in the chambers. So I'm glad that our outreach and noticing efforts were heard and no one wasted their time coming down to City Hall. Commissioners, that will place us um, on general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. And when the number of speakers exceed the 15 minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. Again, members of the public, if you'd like to submit your general public comment, you need to press star three um, or raise your hand via WebEx when you hear uh, that, um, well, the indication that you need to unmute yourself, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Oh, hi, good afternoon and a happy new year to everyone. And thanks for the remote hearing so everyone could stay home. Um, I sent an email, uh, this, oh, this is Georgia Shudish, by the way. Uh, I sent an email last Thursday, uh, December 29th, which was last year. And I wanted to put a spotlight on the issue of, of roof decks. I mean, roof decks on the top of the house, not a deck off of living space, which is really just a terrace or a deck, not a roof deck, or even a porch, but roof decks specifically. Uh, and the issue uh, of, the, of the roof deck policy, which is from August 2018. And uh, the, also the issue of discretionary review more generally. And I just hope that the commission and the staff will take a little bit of time to read the email and the attachments and consider the issues presented uh, in what was sent in. Thanks a lot. Take care. Be well. Be safe. Be happy. Bye. 
um, this system is really weird. Sue has to hear. I would like to acknowledge the atmospheric river that we have right now over us and the necessity of the Planning Commission getting briefed on the floodplains. There is a map that is used by the city on the 100-year flood map, and we got floods in, that, in those areas this past weekend. I think a presentation on the 100-year flood map and how it may be affected by continuing downpours in San Francisco is advisable. It's not on your work program. It's not on your calendar at all. But I think you and the public would be advised, well advised to review this right now because it's an issue right now. Um, please put it on your calendar. A presentation of the map and the assumptions that are made. This is relevant because all of the zoning and all of the area plans are predicated on it. And as you're reviewing plans next to, like 98 Pennsylvania is one of them, next to an area that was flooded uh, from a freeway, that must be something that should be factored into the projects analysis and the environmental analysis. The area plans assumed this. They didn't assume torrential rains. And I just think it's really good to have a presentation that is calendared and documented to the public. Secondarily, there was an issue of the RH1 zoning with the appeal, pardon me, it was appealed to the Board of Permit Appeals, Board of Appeals. It was a decision of the zoning administrator that was issued December 22nd. It was appealed December 23rd to the Board of Appeals. The Planning Commission should have a copy of his decision, his letter of determination as well, and make it should be made available to the public. I would suggest that you might even have a presentation of it because RH1 zoning and how the planning code uh, zones property is at issue at the Board of Appeals, not at the Planning Commission. That's weird. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, last call for general public comment. Again, you need to raise your hand via WebEx or press star three on your phone. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's general public comment is closed. And we can move on to your regular calendar for item 10, case number 2018-017026 GPA for the Environmental Justice Framework and General Plan Introduction. This is an informational presentation. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Lisa Chen with Department Staff. Um, today's informational presentation is meant to provide you with an overview of a set of general plan amendments that will be brought for our initiation and adoption in the coming weeks, um, the environmental justice framework, and an update to our general plan introduction. 
Um, so we have our full EJ team here today. There's Danielle No and Amnon Ben-Pazi, um, as well as Anne-Marie Rogers, who are all available for questions. Um, and before we begin, I, I just wanna acknowledge the strong partnerships and support that we've had from other city agencies, but particularly SFDPH, SF Environment and SFPUC, all of which have longstanding environmental justice programs. Um, next slide. Um, so the last time that you had a hearing on the EJ framework was in October of 2021. And so our primary purpose today is to give you a refresher on the goals of the project and the process thus far. So we'll be discussing the background of the project, our community engagement process, the EJ communities map, and finally the EJ framework topics and adoption process. We are not going to delve too deeply into the policy content today as we are planning to give you a more comprehensive overview of both the, the EJ framework and the general plan introduction at the initiation hearing later this month. Next slide. Um, so first we'll start with our background and goals. Um, so this work is intended to fulfill policy mandates at both the state and local level. So at the state level, SB 1000 requires that jurisdictions address environmental justice in their general plans. First, by analyzing data to determine which parts of our community are impacted by environmental injustice, and subsequently by adopting policies in our general plan to address health disparities. Um, so these requirements are triggered when a city amends two elements of their general plan, um, which we have done recently with first the safety and resilience element and then the housing element. Um, and then and the EJ policies themselves can either be part of a standalone EJ element or be integrated throughout the general plan. Um, this work also speaks directly to the resolutions adopted by this commission and the Historic Preservation Commission, which called for general plan policies to address racial and social equity. Um, however, we really want to emphasize that even though we are being mandated to do this work, we also think that this effort is long overdue. Um, this project launched in March 2020, and as we saw the ensuing health and economic crises unfold during the pandemic, followed by the summer of reckoning over racial inequality, we really saw this project as a key opportunity to reorient our general plan and our work more broadly towards equity. Next slide. Um, so our approach is multi-pronged. Um, first, we are proposing to create an environmental justice framework which will be incorporated by reference into an updated general plan introduction. Um, so the EJ framework is meant to provide a roadmap identifying overarching priorities for city agencies and partners to address environmental justice. Um, the framework will also include an environmental justice communities map, which will highlight the communities that are most impacted. Um, these will be accompanied by policies that are embedded throughout the general plan. Um, so you have already adopted a set of EJ and equity policies in the safety and resilience element and in the housing element, which were developed concurrently with the EJ framework. Um, and we are now currently scoping updates for the upcoming transportation element. And we're also planning efforts to update and modernize other relevant sections of the general plan, including environmental protection, air quality, urban design, commerce and industry and arts and culture. Um, so we opted for this layered approach because we wanted to ensure that EJ was not siloed. Um, and so by placing the framework in the introduction, it is meant to set our intention for the entire general plan, which will be elaborated in the individual elements. Next slide. Um, we're also using this opportunity to provide a fresh look at the general plan introduction itself. The introduction establishes the intent and purpose of the entire general plan. 
Um, and the current document was last updated in 1996, um, which as a sidebar, this was eight presidential elections ago during Bill Clinton's presidency. Um, and so although the current document was aspirational for its time, it sorely needs to be updated to reflect current values and concerns. Um, so we're proposing to update the language with themes um, pulled from several robust planning efforts in recent years, including the EJ framework, the housing element, safety and resilience element, our transportation work, and in particular, our ConnectSF, um, and the Commission's resolutions on equity. Next slide. Um, and before we dive into the EJ, process, EJ framework process itself, we feel it's important to ground this work by defining what we mean by environmental justice. Um, so this term has been defined in a myriad of ways by both advocates and government agencies. Uh, and our proposed definition was developed based on a literature review and feedback from community members and city partners. Um, so we define environmental justice as the equitable distribution of environmental benefits and the elimination of environmental burdens to promote healthy communities where all San Franciscans can thrive. The second part of the definition really focuses on our role as government, which is to foster environmental justice through processes that amend past injustices while enabling proactive and community-led solutions for the future. Next slide. Um, equally important is the definition of environmental racism. So this term acknowledges that too often it is our American Indian, Black, and other people of color communities who disproportionately bear the brunt of environmental hazards and poor health. At the same time, these communities have been denied access to opportunities and resources due to systemic racism. Um, so, of course, Bayview Hunters Point is a classic example here in San Francisco, but we do see the same trends elsewhere. So, for instance, the Union of Concerned Scientists estimates that Black and Latinx residents in California are exposed to 40% more air pollution than white residents. Next slide. Um, and we continue to see similar disparities across a range of health and economic indicators. These are all statistics from San Francisco specifically. Um, and there are a few examples, but there are countless others that we could have included on the slide. Um, so I'll now pass the baton to Danielle to describe the EJ framework process. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, hi, commissioners. These next few slides will share about our robust process for community engagement. We're really proud of the relationships that we've built and feel privileged to have received such frank and honest commentary from the community. In making the framework squarely about environmental justice and racial and social equity, we purposefully designed a range of activities to reach the residents, workers, and community leaders who are most adversely impacted by these inequities. We focused on deep listening, hearing personal anecdotes and discerning common themes to both acknowledge the past harms that have been committed in their neighborhoods, as well as identify solutions where government can step in. In addition, we aimed to elevate environmental justice to a citywide dialogue across neighborhood boundaries, built on the city's uh, prior environmental justice work championed by other agencies, as well as be mindful of participation fatigue and all the input and emotional labor we're asking from the community. So here's some highlights over the past two years of outreach and engagement. We'll share a full summary of what we heard later this month. And um, the most robust engagement activity was the Environmental Justice Working Group, 
we solicited interest from 17 community leaders and 10 city staff to work collaboratively on drafting policy recommendations. Thanks to our amazing facilitator, Juliana Martinez, and the time we dedicated to build strong working relationships, we received unanimous consensus on a 14-page document of policy recommendations. We'll share these policy recommendations as supplemental material alongside our environmental justice framework, and we'll continue to develop these uh, recommendations in future element updates. In addition, we really enjoyed partnering with second graders, third graders, juniors and seniors, and urban planning students to hear about environmental justice conditions in their neighborhoods. And just last month, we wrapped up our engagement with six focus groups. And we also hosted a virtual open house and set of stakeholder interviews. So here are all of our wonderful partners for our three main um, outreach activities. We frequently heard profound observations and stories from them about their living and working conditions that can often be painful to recount to strangers. So we are very grateful for the community's trust in us, as well as this work, to incorporate their feedback into city policy and action. For this hearing, we wanted to provide you with a primer on these engagement goals and our process. And as we move forward in our hearing schedule, we look forward to inviting our community partners to City Hall in person when the storms blow over so that you can hear from them directly and in person. So to move on, uh, another part of our work is developing an environmental justice communities map. This map highlights areas in the city that are facing the highest challenges. The state law, SB 1000, encourages jurisdictions to start with CalEnviroScreen, a statewide mapping tool from CalEPA and OEHA. It includes 20 indicators to identify the top 25% of environmentally challenged areas. And you can see that in the top right of the slide. CalEnviroScreen is used to determine funding for state cap and trade. And uh, how, sorry, however, it, ex it excludes many sensitive areas in the city. And so you can see uh, the pullout in the bottom right. Currently, it highlights uh, just Treasure Island, Soma, and the Bayview. So our project team wanted to conduct our own analysis to create a higher resolution of environmentally challenged areas in the city. Our map that I'll share in the next slides, are it's an analysis that is easily replicable it aligns with related maps from partner agencies, and it reflects a lot of community feedback. So with our map, we use CalEnviroScreen on the left as our base. And then after we reviewed over 100 data sets, we chose to incorporate local data, additional data, on household income, air pollution exposure, and social vulnerability. And so the analysis provides us this final draft map, which you can see on the slide. You can see that we've expanded the scope of environmental justice communities, the top 30% of environmentally burdened areas. It further includes areas like Chinatown, Tenderloin, Visitation Valley, Valley and others. <clears throat> and by and large, these areas are low-income communities and communities of color. We conducted a lot of outreach on the map and received positive feedback from partner agencies in the community. In particular, the working group appreciated the opportunity to think collectively across these neighborhood boundaries to think about areas facing disproportionate health and environmental challenges. 
So we're happy to share that our partner agencies are already incorporating this analysis into their work. Last month, Rec and Park Commission adopted this analysis as part of their equity zones, and the PUC have, has also been using it to help determine grant funding for green infrastructure. And so uh, uh, you can see the difference between Cal and Virus Green on the right-hand insert and then our main map on the left. So to wrap up, uh, to share with you the topics in this EJ framework. Tomorrow, we're publishing the draft framework on our website for the public to review. It'll cover a range of topics underneath this umbrella of environmental justice that are depicted on this slide. SB 1000 encourages us to have this broad interpretation of healthy communities, as Lisa mentioned, to both address the elimination of environmental burdens, as well as the provision of environmental benefits. So once you dive into the public draft, we hope you notice that there are many issue areas that we're proposing to include in the general plan for the first time. So today we're at this informational hearing and our team is working really hard to publish the public draft online tomorrow and incorporate all that public review into our initiation draft. On January 19th, we plan to publish our draft ordinance to you, as well as our initiation materials that include the general plan introduction and continue on with the hearings as shown on this slide. Again, we're excited to respond to SB 1000 and incorporate environmental justice into the general plan with a strong integration of racial and social equity and community voices. So we hope with this presentation, you can see all the groundwork that we have done so that the framework can set clear intentions for the city to right historic and systemic wrongs, to unite behind a community-driven vision, and to have widespread agency buy-in for the subsequent actions needed to bring concrete deliverables to the environmental justice communities. Uh, thanks, this is the end of our presentation. I'll take my slides down and really excited to hear from you all. Thank you for that, Lisa and Danielle. If there are no immediate questions from members of the commission, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. Again, if you're joining us via WebEx, you need to raise your hand. And if you're joining us via phone, you need to press star three. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment on this matter is closed. I will certainly advise you if that changes. Um, this is a non-action item, so uh, the informational is now before you, Commissioners. Thank you, staff, for the presentation. It's been great to track the progress of this work and just the continuation of the robust outreach and analysis um, that you've been performing. So thank you again. Thank you to all those community members who participated at any point in the outreach. We really um, again, want to underscore sharing sometimes things that are really difficult and really um, hard um, with staff and so that hopefully through this plan, we can address some of those difficulties um, now and also in the future. I want to call on Commissioner Moore. We had a question this morning from the public and I'm wondering if the question about flooding and flood control fits anywhere into this environmental burden uh, mapping. Uh, I believe that environmental risks include flying, uh, and it is very clear that in San Francisco, uh, many uh, people are threatened and um, uh, subject to flooding. And I, I have to suspect that it would fall into areas 
that overlap with areas of concern. Uh, Ms. Chen or Ms. Nyo, could you answer that question as to whether or not that's being considered here? And as you are looking at new data to augment what you may already have found out. Hi, Commissioner Moore. Thanks. This is Danielle. And I think that's a great question. And thank you for the public commenter. Um, I think that the first thing to come to mind is the safety and resilience element that was recently adopted uh, last month by you all. And um, that is the element that's squarely about natural disasters, climate crises, as well as making sure that the city is prepared, mitigating, responding. Uh, that element did include a number of brand new policies that address sea level rise and flooding, references the maps that the commenter mentioned, as well as pushing the city to, in, to, to have uh, continued practice for the latest data knowing that these projections are showing um, nonlinear uh, uh, frequency and intensity of these extreme weather events. For the environmental justice framework, there is also a section about climate resilience and healthy communities that can help sharpen that focus for our environmental justice communities. Uh, it's, uh, they, the environmental justice communities um, share areas within the sea level rise vulnerability zone, as well as our flood vulnerability areas, and it includes other, like a broader definition of environmental hazards as well. Thank you for your response. As I had uh, already said in the previous presentation on the resiliency, that I think cross-referencing each other in these efforts is extremely important because not many people know about the multi-layered, multi-thronged approach you are taking. And I think the city is really, really good in doing it. However, cross-referencing just for consumers' ease, uh, I think, is essential. Uh, and I do consider flooding to be an element of, uh, of uh, community and environmental justice. But thank you so much. It's an excellent presentation, and I very much appreciate where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Any other comments or questions from commissioners? on the presentation. Okay. Not seeing any. So I think we may be concluded with this item. Very good. Commissioners, that'll place us on item 11 for case number 2020-005253, CRV at 326026 Street. This is uh, for adoption of findings. Yes. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Alex Westoff, planning department staff. Uh, the item before you is a request to adopt findings related to the requested waivers from the development standards for height, rear yard, and open space pursuant to planning code sections 260, 134, and 135 related to state density bonus law and planning code section 206.6 and affirming and adopting findings under the California Environmental Quality Act. The project includes the demolition of a single-story building containing an auto repair shop and construction of a six-story mixed-use building with 558 square feet of ground floor commercial and 42 residential dwelling units at 3260 26th Street. 12 of the units will be studios, 13 will be one-bedroom, and 17 will be two-bedroom units. Seven of the units will be inclusionary units and all of the residential units will have access to open space, which includes 770 square feet on the ground floor, 
520 square feet on the fourth floor and 1,272 square feet on the roof deck. The project will provide no vehicular parking and instead will provide 44 class one and two class two bicycle parking spaces. The project will meet the inclusionary affordable housing requirement by providing seven units on site, which is 25% of the base density and the rest of the obligation um, will be satisfied as a payment of the affordable housing fee. The site is located in the Mission Street Neighborhood Commercial Transit Zoning District, uh, which regulates density by a maximum permitted building volume, not as a ratio of units to lot area. The amount of density bonus allowed is based on the level of affordability. Because the project is providing 15% of the units or five units at below market rate to very low income households at 50% AMI, the project is entitled to a 50% density bonus or approximately 11,356 square feet of residential uses. Under the state density bonus law, the project is requesting three waivers from development standards specifically height, rear yard, and open space. Pursuant to planning code, pursuant to the planning code, the height is restricted to 40 feet in this district, uh, plus an additional five feet afforded in NCT districts with ground floor commercial use. Uh, the proposed building will extend to 65 feet. The additional height is necessary to accommodate the bonus units. The rear yard requirement pursuant to planning code section 134 is 25% and the rear yard proposed is 22.9%. The reduced rear yard is necessary to accommodate the bonus units. The open space requirement is 100 square feet of common open space per unit, and the open space proposed is 78.5 square feet of common open space per unit. The reduced amount of open space is necessary to accommodate the bonus units. Without the waivers, the project would be physically precluded from constructing the additional dwelling units which are permitted under the individually requested state density bonus program, thus preventing the project from achieving a 50% bonus. Additionally, the project seeks a concession from the bay window glazing requirement pursuant to planning code section 136C2C as the bays do not include glazing on the smaller side of the angled bay window. The department is supportive of the project and recommends approval of the findings um, under the state density bonus program and adoption of the findings under CEQA. The project sponsor is here and has prepared a presentation. Project sponsor, you have uh, five minutes. Thank you, Alex, for the introduction and commissioners for hearing this project. I am Justin McKez with Kermit Morris Architects, serving as PM on this project and representing the project sponsors, Bill and Wayne McFarrell. Next slide, please, Alex. 3260 26th Street is located near the southern edge of the Mission District. Next slide. On a 110 by 65 foot lot in the Mission Street NCT Zoning District, with frontage not only on 26, but also on Shotwell and Virgil. Next slide. The project proposes demolishing the existing one-story non-historic Category C auto repair shop. The project sponsors, Bill and Wayne, are brothers that grew up in the Mission District not far from the project site. Uh, next slide, Alex. Uh, owners of this BMW auto repair shop for nearly four decades, they also owned several properties in the, in the city, including three around the corner, but this would be their biggest project to date. They are conscientious owners and members of the community and a dream to work with. 
Next slide. In place of the shop, we are proposing a six-story over basement, 35,600 square foot mixed-use building. The primary use is residential with 42 units, including 12 studios, 13 one-bedrooms, and 17 two-bedroom units. Um, just, just checking, Alex, I'm still seeing slide three. We've lost the time. If you haven't already. Yes, I appreciate that. Sorry about that. Technical problems. I mean, no worries. So yeah, if you can just could you just scroll back and quickly go through slides four through six? And then we can start with slide seven. I'll restart. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's the existing shop and the project sponsors. Go forward. From Next. here, okay. Yeah. We'll just catch up real quickly. Go slide five, please. Proposed project and then cafe at the first floor. Okay, I'm ready to restart. Slide seven, please. Yeah. The partial basement will house accessory residential services, including laundry, storage, bicycle parking, but no car parking. Next slide, please. As Alex mentioned, the project utilizes the state density bonus program to achieve greater density than would be principally permitted in this district. As part of the program, we are seeking a 50% density bonus and three waivers to accommodate this density, including a waiver to the height limit, allowing two more stories. Next slide. A waiver to the 25% rear yard requirement. Next slide. And a waiver to the open space requirement. While reduced, the proposed open space would be quality landscape space on multiple levels. And the next slide. And we are proposing one concession, relief from the requirement that one third of the total glaze area in the bay window needs to occur on the side of the bay. Next. In return for the density bonus waivers and the concession granted by the density bonus program, the project is able to provide 17 more dwelling units than would be able to fit in a buy-right building, a total of seven inclusionary units and over $800,000 in inclusionary fees to the city. Next. The project sponsors and our design team are lockstep in our desire to produce a project that is beneficial and responsible to both the local community and the greater environment. Our project sponsor brief outlines our outreach efforts in detail, but in short they include our pre-app meeting and multiple meetings with members of the Cayo Bancho Cultural Latino Cultural District starting in September 2020, and more recently with members of the Intermission Neighborhood Association. Next slide. Several design revisions came out of the community feedback including designated space for a mural in Virgil, the incorporation of bright colors in Papel, Picado, and Spryard railings that fit in with the cultural district, and adding a bulb out, next slide, to the sidewalk at the corner of 26 and Shotwell to provide additional public space and increased pedestrian safety, and a two-car accessible loading zone in Shotwell to provide a safe place for accessible transit, delivery, and car share vehicles to park temporarily without impeding tra traffic. In recognition of these efforts, multiple neighbors have submitted letters in support, which are on file, and no letters were received in opposition. And we completed the required 30-day 311 notice on December 14th, and no discretionary review requests were filed. Next slide. When one of the members of the Cayo Bento Cuatro Land Use Committee asked that we consider seeking lead certification for the building, we're happy to report 
that we were already planning on seeking a minimum lead silver certification and have the general goal of minimizing the environmental impact of the building as much as we can within the budget. Proposed green features include solar PV, an all electric building, carbon capture concrete, and passive house level airtight energy efficient windows installation, just to name a few. Next slide. We have naturally focused on the exterior for this presentation, but we can also share floor plans upon request. In sum, we respectfully request that the commission adopt these findings. The project sponsors and our design team have worked diligently together in good faith to design a project that is compliant with the general plan and the planning code and, the and one that is socially responsible, fits in with the local neighborhood and provides much needed quality and affordable residential units to the city. Thank you for your time. Thank you. That concludes the project sponsor's presentation. We should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. Again, if you're joining us via WebEx, you need to raise your hand, or if you're calling him, you need to press star three. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, but I will certainly advise if there is a late request. Yes, please do. We have quite a few attendees still, so folks may be trying to figure out how to raise their hands. And if they are, please, please look at the instructions, which should be, I believe, on the TV screen uh, for you. Um, commissioners, I'll start with a few questions um, and then ask folks to jump in. Um, thank you for the presentation. I wonder if you could explain a little bit kind of the, the rear yard programming that you have. I, mean, I guess maybe I'll start by saying overall, the, the concessions and the waivers seem fairly modest, um, particularly the um, the request um, regarding the glazing on the bays makes sense given the architectural style um, that the windows that are proposed are, are conducted. So it makes sense that uh, to not have that additional glazing on the side. I'm just curious a little bit about the open space planning and also kind of the configuration of the rear yard with the additional units in the back. So if you could just kind of walk through the concept and that programming and kind of how that all fits together in the building, that would be great. And that's to the project sponsor. They're unmuted. Okay. Thank you, President Tanner. Um, sure. Um, let's see what slide is up. Alex, can you pull up like slide 25? It's in the backup slides. Yeah. Okay. This project has frontage on um, big street frontage on Shotwell and 26th Street and Virgil Street is basically an alley. So we're treating this like a corner lot where the rear yard is a corner. Um, and normally we would have to go down to the ground with residential on the first floor for the rear yard. But here we're proposing that half of the rear yard be at grade in that courtyard. And then the other half be at that fourth floor common roof deck, which we actually think will be a nice all the um, rear yard open space and to have different spaces where people can hang out in the building and um, and should provide good views um, looking downtown. Um, additionally, we have set back that common space from all walls, from all parapets, so it's not overlooking anything below. And we also have additional open space, the largest open space without the roof. Does that answer your question? Yes, that does. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And I will call on Commissioner Moore. Uh, interesting that you are starting with a conversation, uh, President Tanner, that I wanted to also jump in. I found the reduction from the required 100 square feet per purse per unit to 87 
very, very acceptable because this is what we call dispersed open space. So if you live in this building with 42 units, instead of all being congregating in one space, be it 87 square feet per unit or 100 square, 100 square feet per unit, it would still look cramped. Having the open space dispersed in three locations as, as just was described will make it really almost non-noticeable because the experiences of how you live in the building and how you go outside are so very varied. And I think it's a brilliant solution and I'm really, really happy for us to bring this to this type of state density bonus building. It complements, I think, well-designed units, uh, complements uh, an equitable treatment of who can live where because there was another project uh, on our uh, calendar today which raised questions exactly surrounding that particular uh, aspect of the project. So I'm delighted for us to see this and I hope we will keep a good imprint of this project in our minds as we move forward. We can learn a lot from this project as it deals with state density bonus requirements in a very elegant manner. Uh, I'm very uh, happy to support the project, including uh, the question that we are supposed to uh, consider in uh, looking at findings related to state density. Thank you, and I'm delighted to, uh, to uh, support the project. Absolutely, and I just want to underscore that I think this is one of the more thoughtfully designed and executed state density bonus projects that we've seen, and just a, a really beautiful project, and really happy to see that. Commissioner Ward, did you want to make your support into a motion? Go ahead. If I may add one more comment. Yeah. Uh, a number of years ago, I had asked staff when the commission sees projects that are not only of excellent presentation style, as this one is, it's extremely comprehensively and understandably uh, uh, presented to have a library where we sometimes can reach back when we want to refer to an example of what we like to see on a project which has not been perhaps addressing all the issues that this particular presentation addresses. But coming to the motion, uh, I would like to make a motion to uh, adopt the findings related to state density bonus. Uh, that is, I think, our, the request that is being made here for us. I will second that motion. Thank you, commissioners. On that motion to adopt findings, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero. Commissioners, um, item 12 has been continued to February 9th, so we can move on to our discretionary review calendar. Uh, but before we do, I just want to advise you, I just received a PG&E outage alert that my property may be affected. So if you don't hear or see me anymore, it's because my power is out. But our backup is uh, the manager of Commission Affairs, uh, Laura Lynch. So um, you will not be without a secretary. Um, Commissioners, item 13, case number 2021-002057 DRP for the property at 2011 Filbert Street. This is a discretionary review. Mr. Winslow. Thank you, Jonas. Uh, Happy New Year, Commissioners. David Winslow, staff architect. Uh, the item before you is a public initiated request for discretionary review of building permit number 2021.0120.2957.
to uh, demolish a one-story garage and a one-story shed and construct a new four-story two-unit residential building with one-car parking. Uh, the, I want to correct something that was in your packets, just for the record. Um, in the aerial photographs, uh, there was an, in, uh, an arrow indicating the subject property um, was pointing towards an existing house, and that should be transposed to one lot over to the uh, west where the garage is. Uh, just want to make that clarification. Um, the DR requester is, um, excuse me. DR requester is Devon Johnson of 3065 Buchanan Street, the adjacent neighbor to the immediate west of this site, uh, who is concerned that the building is out of scale with the adjacent buildings, cuts off access to mid-block open space, and exceeds the minimum required rear yard setback. His proposed alternative, or alternatives are to remove the fourth floor entirely and reduce the third floor to the footprint of what is currently proposed as the fourth floor. Um, to date, the department has received three letters in opposition and no letters in support of the project. Uh, staff supports this project as it complies with both the planning code and the residential design guidelines. The massing of the project is scaled and articulated in an appropriate manner to minimize impacts to light and air, while at the same time not severely impacting, impacting access or, to or minimizing access to mid-block open space. The project matches the front and rear walls of the neighboring building to the west, um, which is turned, which in turn is dwarfed by the height and depth of the at the rear by a building, a neighboring building, existing building, excuse me, four-story apartment building to its west. The project obtains its rear yard by averaging the adjacent neighbor to the west. The project complies with required front and rear yard setbacks and is scaled to be seen primarily from the street as a three-story building um, as the fourth floor is set back 15 feet from the front um, and as well five feet from the side uh, that adjoins the DR requester's property. Um, the floor-to-floor -floor heights are not excessive, yielding a roof line uh, of the fourth story below the allowed height limit. Additionally, the fourth floor decks are also set back uh, five feet from the eastern neighbor's lot line to reduce the impacts to privacy. This in combination with the dimensions of the deck articulate the building to minimize the impact associated with both light and privacy. Again, the scale and height of this building at the street and uh, rear detailing materiality and raised exterior entry stairs combine to make this compatible with the character defining features in this district and therefore with the residential design guidelines. Therefore, staff deems there are no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances and recommends not taking discretionary review and approving. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. You have five minutes. And Mr. Winslow, can you put on the slides, please?
Thank you. And uh, can you just go on to the second slide, please? Thank you. Um, thank you, commissioners. I'm uh, Devin Johnson. I'm on Buchanan Street immediately behind the proposed project. Um, I understand that we need housing. I'm not trying to stop this project. I'm just asking for reasonable modifications. And I plan to explain why this is exceptional and extraordinary and therefore causes um, a substantial negative impact to the neighbors. Um, so I am essentially saying yes in my backyard, but I am asking for a respectful yes from this project. Um, I'm speaking to the impact of the three Buchanan Street neighbors whose rear yards are affected. Uh, the exceptional circumstances are caused by the size of the proposed project, um, its location and orientation to the, uh, we adjacent neighbors, and then also the types of homes of the neighbors. Um, and there's basically three drivers. So it it does cut us three off from the mid-block open space. Um, when you look from the Filbert side, it's out of scale with the immediate adjacent properties. And then um, it exceeds the standard minimum rear yard setback, and I'll talk more about that as well. Um, we definitely understand as neighbors that there's going to be an impact from the project, um, but we're just asking to reduce the impact. Um, can we go to the next slide, please? Um, the proposed project being near the corner creates the exceptional circumstance. Um, and the my house and the neighbors are all one and two family homes with backyards that are impacted with you know, a loss of sunlight and also get cut off from the mid-block open space um, given the size of the lots. There um, also are many corner lots in this neighborhood that are apartment buildings. Um, and our situation is actually different from that. Uh, next slide, please. The um, proposed four-story project on Filbert creates a 28-foot high, uh, high wall directly along the rear fence of the three properties along Buchanan Street. Um, adding that to the proposed limited rear yard setback combines to cut us off from the mid-block space and really reduces the light um, to the rear of our properties. If our residences were in the middle of the block versus at the corner, you know, we would be protected by the requirements of neighbors in the back having a rear yard setback. Um, we aren't, and that's what makes this more extreme and creates a more exceptional circumstance. All of the green you see in the middle of the picture there is the mid-block that this project will starts to cut us off from. Um, next slide, please. Um, as I said, our properties are one and two family buildings. We have backyards that we use for children's play areas, gardening, and other rec uh, recreation. The um, diagram to the left shows the proposed lines of the new project, which will definitely have a substantial impact on all of our yards right there at that location. Uh, next slide, please. All of these photos are of um, corner lots within a block of our properties. And they're all, um, um, the builders in those situations have chosen to build out large apartment buildings fully out in the lot and they don't have open space that are impacted by a neighboring building. And again, I, I wanna point out that our situation is different than that since we have smaller homes, we do have backyards, we do use them, and this project definitely impacts that. Uh, next slide, please. 
Um, in the residential design guidelines, they're very clear about explaining the impact of projects that proceed into the rear of the of the lot, um, and they give multiple suggestions on how to minimize the impact to neighbors, including reducing the footprint and also even eliminating upper stories. Uh, next page, please. So the next point was about being out of scale to the adjacent properties. Um, it is a four-story building, and then it's sandwiched in between what is a two-story building, and then essentially less than one story with our eight-foot either wall or fence along our backyards there on the left side of the photo. Uh, next page. Again, the residential design guidelines um, give some good guidance on how to address that. Um, in this particular example, they show um, uh, a setback of the third floor and completely eliminating the fourth floor. And next slide, please. And then um, the third point is that it exceeds the standard minimum rear guard setback, which would be 45% for this lot. Um, there is an exception and that allows this property to be adjacent with the compliant um, property next door that has a much deeper lot, um, which then causes the rear yard setback to be only 25%. And that just further exacerbates the existing problems that I've already discussed. Then the final page is my closing. Thank you, Mr. Johnson, but that is your time. I'm sorry. We didn't quite get the slide started at the beginning there. I didn't start until you started speaking. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, project sponsor, uh, you will also have five minutes. Uh, Tara Sullivan from Ruben, Junius and Rose. Good afternoon, President Tanner and commissioners. I'm here with the project sponsor, John Strickland, and his architect. The project before you today is to demolish the existing one-story garage structure and shed and construct a new two-unit building. As you will see during this presentation, there are no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances that warrant the commission taking DR in this case. This overhead slide shows the existing conditions on the block and subject property, as well as the DR requester's property immediately to the east. The assessor's map shows that this block has an inconsistent pattern of lot sizes and shapes. Next slide, please. I want to highlight the unusual nature and size of this lot. It has historically been attached and associated with a single family house to the west on lot three, serving as its garage and accessory space. In 2020, the owner sold the lot to the project sponsor with the knowledge that it was to be developed with multi-unit housing. This lot is very small. It is 20 feet wide and 82 and a half feet deep. Regardless of the size, the owner remains committed to utilizing the site to build dwelling units. The DR should be denied and the project approved as designed for the following reasons. Next slide, please. The DR requester asserts that the project will block the rear yard from the mid-block open space. However, they do not face any mid-block open space. This slide shows that the configuration of the lots on the block, along with the building pattern, is such that there is no true central mid-block open area. The circles highlight the pockets of open space and how the middle of the block is developed with large apartment buildings and or lots with rear yard structures. Next slide, please. The DR requester's mid-block open space is in fact the subject property. The DR requester has benefited from the lack of development on the site and seeks to keep it that way. Next slide, slide please. The DR requester further states that the project will severely reduce sun and light to their rear yard. This is just not true. Their property is a corner lot with their rear yard directly fronting Filbert Street, 
which provides their sun and light. They have several windows along the street, letting in light into their home. This condition is not being modified by this project. Next slide, please. Again, the DR requester claims that this project will reduce light and air to the rear of the property. It's not the case. This slide sh further shows that their property receives ample light and air at their property and will continue to do so after the project is built. Next slide, please. It should be noted that the project is maintaining that front yard setback, so it will be located in the same position as the current garage. This provides a seven and a half foot setback along the DR requester's rear property line, further allowing light and air into their property. Next slide, please. Uh, the DR requester states that the rear yard exceeds the minimum rear yard setback. This misstates the method that section 134 uses to measure rear yard setbacks. This section allows buildings in RH2 districts to use the adjacent building depth to measure the average rear yard. This is not an exception. This is a code permitted as of right uh, provision. Given the short lot depth, that method was used for this project. If the project was required to have a rear yard equal to 45% of the lot depth, as shown in the yellow line, combined with the required seven and a half foot front setback, a new multifamily residential structure would not be feasible here. The building would be approximately 37 feet in depth by 20 feet in width. It's just not realistic. This is a co-compliant rear yard and buildable area. Next slide, please. The DR requester states that the project out of scale should be reduced in massing. They're asking for the fourth floor to be removed in its entirety and that the third floor be reduced in size to the current fourth floor. These requests are essentially asking for a two-story plus penthouse structure on the site. Said another way, it would reduce the overall massing in half. Next slide, please. Since the outset of the design process, the buildings on the, in the lots to the east, the DR requester's lots, have been taken into account. We've been working with the RDT for many months to address the neighbor, neighbor's concerns of solar and solar light and access. Um, this resulted in the following reductions in mass. Two feet were removed from the height. The fourth floor was reduced an additional three feet from the eastern property line for a total of five feet. And the fourth floor setback was, setback was given an additional five feet for a total of 15 feet from the front property line. Um, because of these changes, the ADU was removed from the project. One unit was removed. There are two units proposed, one that is 2,337 feet and one that is 429 square feet. Next slide, please. Asking for further reductions, especially the ones wanted by the DR requester, will eliminate an additional unit and make this project infeasible. This is a code compliant project, one that meets all objective standards. It meets the Housing Accountability Act and asking for further reduction will violate that state law. The project sponsors already modified the project to accommodate the Eastern neighbors. We've shown that there, the DR requester has not provided any new evidence to warrant additional changes. For this reason, please approve the project as proposed and deny the DR. The project sponsor, John Strickland, and the architect are here if you have any further questions. Thank you. Thank you. If that concludes uh, sponsor's presentation, we should open up public comment, members of the public. Uh, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this DR. Uh, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. And through the chair, you'll each have two minutes. Again, when um, in order to unmute yourself, you need to press star six. Ms. Alberigi, I've sent you a unmute request. I see your hand is raised. 
There you go. You have two minutes. I Can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. I live right back there where this whole building's gonna be erected. And I've lived here all my life. And I really do believe a four-story building is way out of it. They're gonna block me in. I have no sunlight in my yard anymore or in my kitchen or in my family room. And I'm a 71 year old woman. And I feel like, you know, this needs to be reconsidered more. I mean, it's a humongous, even the building that's on the other side, that apartment building is way on top of the other building that's right next to this project. And I'm really fearful that this is gonna really expand and get rid of all the light that I have coming in through my back window here, through my yard, where I can, you know, get sunlight in here. And four stories is a big, I won't have the access of the corner of Filbert Street. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate if you consider this since I've lived here most of my life and I've been, uh, you know, we've always gotten along with everybody. I'm all for more affordable housing. Believe me, I'm a taxpayer in this city and I know what it's like, okay? So I really appreciate if you would consider this a little bit more on our side of the whole road. They, they need to redo this whole thing as far as any fourth story floor on top. Okay, if that concludes your comments. Yes, it does. Okay, thank you. Uh, last call for public comment. Again, you need to raise your hand via WebEx or press star three. Who on mute when it's your turn? Okay. Go ahead, Ms. Miller. Yeah, hi. My name's Rhonda Miller, and I'm I'm the third house on Buchanan Street. So I'm um, I'm the third house. It back. And I've lived here for probably 32, 33 years. And I echo my neighbors. It sounds like everything is legit and everything, but it would definitely put a burden and it would disrupt our backyards and our living conditions too. I mean, to have a four-story home to me is, I don't know if it's a single family person or if it's going to be extra, you know, it would be too much. And it would disrupt our backyards, our living space, sunlight. Um, and I, I think it's too much for the sec the area where it's in. And that's pretty much all I have to say. Okay, great. Thank you for Thank your consideration. Last call for public comment on this matter. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners. Uh, Mr. Johnson, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Thank you. Um, I just want to address several of the things um, that the project sponsor had shared. Um, first of all, with regards to the north side of our building, um, it's along Filbert Street. It's a north side, so there's absolutely no direct sunlight. Yes, we have windows on that side, but all of the sun comes from the front and the rear of the building. Um, and basically from the southerly direction. Um, I think the photos she showed actually helped my case more in showing the sun that currently gets to my backyard 
um, and then the lack of it when the four-story building does go up. Um, also, with respect to the two units, I mean, I feel if they were real more authentic about building two units, they would have had two equally balanced flats. Instead, it really is a single family home with a very small lesser in-law in unit that's gonna be in the back behind the garage. Um, and then also with respect to the, vol the building volume reduction, she makes it sound like they worked with the neighbors to help accomplish that. We've had absolutely no contact from uh, the project sponsor other than the required pre-app meeting that they held a couple years ago. I think all of those changes were made um, by request of the planner or the, the residential design team, but it, it wasn't shared with, what, with us and they didn't really ask us what we were looking for. And then finally, um, she was commenting about it not being financially feasible. Um, I'm a little familiar with the cost for doing these kind of projects. Um, was that 30 seconds or two minutes? You have 30 seconds remaining. Okay. Um, they got the property for only uh, for under $1 million. Um, they've got a demolition permit that's going to allow them to completely clean the earth and start over with new construction. Um, and they're not doing any excavation. So it's a very, very inexpensive build. And I think realistically, it's a very easy project for them to make money. So I don't think what we're requesting is unfeasible. Thank you. Okay, project sponsor, you have a two minute rebuttal. Thank you, Jonas and planning commissioners. Tara Sullivan here for the project sponsor, John Strickland. Um, no new issues have been raised by the DR requester that have not already been addressed. The project has been redesigned several times. We've worked extensively with staff to address the three lots that are along Buchanan Street. I will note that uh, the third lot, uh, Ms. Miller's lot, the development um, actually is mainly open space along her property line. The building itself only extends one or two feet to her into her rear, uh, into her lot. Um, Development on small infill sites is an expected nature of life in the city. The addition of dwelling units will add to the housing stock. It will provide two units. The lot is being fully utilized, whereas the DR requester's lot is underdeveloped. It fits the scale of the block. It maintains light and air to the DR requester's property. It's compatible with the neighborhood as staff has found. For all of these reasons, no exceptional or extraordinary circumstances have been established that would justify the exercise of DR here or modifications of the project. We really respectfully request that you approve the project as proposed. And again, the um, property owner is here and available. I think if he can raise his hand, if, he, if there are questions for him. Thank you. Okay, if that concludes project sponsors rebuttal, that concludes the uh, public hearing portion of this matter. And it is now before you commissioners. Thank you, um, staff um, and the project sponsors for the presentation and for the comments from the public. Um, and I think we did get Ms. Miller to speak. Um, I don't see any other commissioners in the chat. I'll just say it seems like a fairly modest proposal. It looks like staff looked at it and did provide some feedback to the project sponsor, which was incorporated um, into the project. Uh, so for this specific project, I don't think see anything uh, extraordinary that would require us to take discretionary review. Perhaps in some ways, the thing that's unique is the um, subject property itself, just being a property with a garage and not being a standard lot size. 
And so within those boundaries and within the um, kind of ways our code calculates for your yard and other aspects of a project, they've um, availed themselves of those aspects of our code to design this project. So I don't see anything acceptable, extraordinary, and imagine we may see more projects of this nature as we continue to add housing in small scale um, development throughout the city. Ms. Shermore? Uh, speaking to the context of uh, the last comment President Tenor made, there are indeed many, many sites in San Francisco where you have small coach house type garages uh, filling half or the smaller portions of lots. I actually live near one and it was somewhat of a struggle to uh, see that what we used to take for granted as just like a, an expanded rear yard with a small kind of gate in the front is being really a development site. But that said, I think what, what I would like to have seen, and I'm still asking perhaps the applicant uh, to uh, project it on the screen, uh, I would have liked to see a Filbert Street elevation in context. The, 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 the drawing set is a, a drawings which are so minimal, minimalistic, that they're not typical of what we see in applications. The context in which this building occurs in elevation and in 3D form is not provided, and I would like to see as to whether or not we can see a photo montage which puts this project actually into the context of buildings to the east and west on, on Philbert Street. Thank you. Does the project sponsor in their slides have any of those images or anything like that? Or I don't know if Mr. Winslow, we have access to anything like that. Maybe that's a no. Mr. Winslow, you're muted. Yes, sorry. No Did you, I was answering another question. Could you repeat the question, please? You're asking me to repeat the question. Uh, yeah. I would have liked to see photo montage. Filbert, yeah. Uh, yeah, a Filbert Street elevation that puts the proposed building into the context with its neighbors to the east and to the west. Yes. Yeah. And I believe what we have in, um, we don't have exactly elevational drawings, but we do have in your packet, um, you can see shadow studies that depict the massing of the adjacent buildings in three dimensions, which um, we utilized for purposes of assessing the contextual responsiveness of this building. Yeah. I would have liked to really see a traditional elevation in order to really deal with how high transitions, that is always an issue that we need to be cons uh, concerned about. I generally don't believe that from a massing point of view, this building is extraordinary, but I think you need to understand it in its elevation uh, in context. Uh, and I, I don't see that. So it makes it a little bit harder for me. Uh, I would agree that the modifications the building has undergone are reasonable. However, that particular one issue is still something that remains open and I'm sitting on the fence. Unit equity is always an issue. And again, 429 uh, square feet to 2370, that is a big delta. Uh, I let some other commissioners reflect on that. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Any other commissioners care to comment or make motions or anything? Questions for staff or applicant? Commissioner Koppel? 
Yeah, I, uh, um, like you, President Tanner, don't think this is uh, too extraordinary and I wanted to make um, a motion to uh, support staff's recommendation, not take DR and approve. Second. Thank you, Commissioner Brown. Okay, if there's no further commissioner deliberation, there is a motion that has been seconded to not take DR and approve the project as proposed. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. Commissioner Moore? Uh, aye. And Commission President Tanner? Commission. Yes, I did hear you now. Okay. Okay. That motion passes unanimously five to zero. Commissioners, that will place us on the last item of your agenda today, number 14, case number 2020-011896DRP for the property at 1130 Clement Street. This is also a discretionary review. Mr. Winslow. Good afternoon, commissioners. Again, David Winslow, staff architect. The request before you today is a public initiated request for discretionary review of building permit application number 2020.1201.9936 to construct a vertical and horizontal rear addition to an existing three-story, two-unit residential building to add three residential units. The DR requester, Brendan Meyer, owner of 1124 Clement, the adjacent neighbor to the east, is concerned that the proposed project is not consistent with the urban design guidelines of the commerce and industry element, and that it is out of scale with the other adjacent buildings, cuts off access to light and air mid-block open space, and will block views from adjacent buildings. His proposed alternatives are to remove the rear portion of the fourth floor and reduce the total building height lower the rear portion of the building to match the slope to reduce impacts to neighboring yards and decks and to eliminate or require opaque glass for all windows within five feet of property lines to maintain privacy. Uh, to date, we the department has received 11 uh, letters in support and four letters opposed to the project. Um, staff's review was, you know, we originally uh, noticed the project uh, it complied with the planning code, but did not fully comply with the neighborhood commercial urban design guidelines to reflect the arrangement of other buildings on its block and respect open space corridors in the interior blocks and not to significantly impede access to light air nor block views of adjacent buildings. Uh, the project is under the threshold of tantamount to demolition per code section 317, but just barely. Um, by adding three units, this project is maximizing the density allowed on the site and is subject to the Housing Accountability Act. The adjacent one-story commercial building to the west extends almost the full lot. The shallower DR requester's building to the east contains a residential unit and, at the third floor and over commercial and office space, and also it occupies nearly full lot coverage at the ground level. The parapet level of the DR requester's residential space corresponds roughly to the top of the third floor of this project. The project sponsor has modified the original design, if you see the plans dated 12-8-22 at the end of your packets, by reducing the rear extension of the fourth floor and providing a five-foot setback from the east property line, 
but by adding building volume on the lower second and third floors to make up for some of that lost square footage. The filling in of the side setbacks at the second floor and third floor adjacent to levels in off of office and commercial space of the DR requester in this context is deemed acceptable in the application of the urban design guidelines. Since the project sponsor has reduced the massing at the fourth floor, but added building volume at the second and third floors to meet the intent of the urban design guidelines, it's staff's recommendation that you take discretionary review and approve as modified. Uh, this concludes my presentation and I'd be happy to answer questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Winslow. Uh, DR requester. You have a five-minute presentation. Mr. Meyer. Yes, this is Brendan Meyer. Can you hear me okay? We can hear you just fine now. Okay, thanks very much. Um, my name, uh, President Tanner, fellow commissioners, thanks for allowing me the opportunity to present my concerns regarding the proposed development at 1130 Clement Street. My name is Brendan Meyer. My family and I own the building directly to the east of the subject property. Um, I'd like to see page two of my um, slideshow. Yes, thank you. On this photo, we are the three-story brick-faced building to the right of 1130 Clement Street. My family has owned this property since 1960s. In 1988, we demolished the existing two-plus-story unreinforced brick building and built the modern building you see to here today. It was ground, it has a ground floor retail space, second floor office and a two-story bedroom apartment on the top floor. As a builder and a property owner, I'm very much in favor of sensitive and reasonable property development, but I cannot support the project in its current form. This project was presented in October of 2020. The idea was to construct a 7,000 square foot building with five residential units, four story, and one small commercial unit on the ground floor. I'm not opposing the reconstruction of this property in general. We did the very same thing in 1988, but I do have two major concerns regarding the property. My first concern is that the project as proposed is simply too large and out of scale with the neighboring buildings and will dominate the mid-block open space. It will deprive my rear decks and the neighboring backyards of much needed light, air, and privacy. Can we go to page three, please? I have updated renderings that show the impact of the proposed building on the neighborhood, and I would like to present them now. Here are three aerial views of the proposed building. Mine is the brick-faced building on the right in the lower two pictures and the stepped-back building on the left in the north view. The latest version has set back the rear top floor 12 feet, but it still dominates the mid-block open space and will have a huge impact on the access to light, air, and privacy of the adjacent buildings and backyards. Page four, please. 
This page shows the before and after view of the rear yard of 285 12th Avenue. The proposed building will have a property line wall approximately 35 feet above the grade, extending all the way across the rear property line. Can you uh, scroll up slightly, uh, Mr. Winslow? Thank you very much. The total building height is approximately 45 feet above grade. Page five, please. This page shows the view looking northwest from my upper rear deck. The proposed building will effectively block our afternoon light and any air coming from the west. And finally, page six, I, this page shows a shadow study at 8 a.m. noon and 4 p.m. on the equinox. The top right frame shows morning shadows extending over three properties to the west, while the lower right frame shows similar deep shade in the afternoon across the three properties to the east. Page eight. Page eight of my PR lists the changes I that would allow me to support this project. I would like to see the top floor set back on an additional 20 feet so that it might align with the rear wall of my top floor unit. This would amount to the reduction of approximately 400 square feet or 6% of the gross area of this building. Maybe scroll down a little, up a little more, please. Thank you. Page nine, here's some views of the building with the additional setbacks. My second, uh, page seven, please. My second major concern is how, is how this project has been classified as an addition rather than a full demolition. I believe it is. 100% of the existing building is being either removed or re relocated upwards approximately five feet. Under section 317, this project should be classified a residential demolition and subject to conditional use review. I feel this project is incorrectly being allowed to proceed as an addition. Although the planning department has declared this project application complete and the current design is not the current design has not addressed my original concerns regarding air, light, and privacy. My hope is the commission, after reviewing the application, will find the project does not meet the standards and principles expressed in the planning department's code and the urban design guidelines. Changes can be made, including reducing the height and bulk, which will go a long way toward improving this project and gaining the support of the neighboring property owners. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Meyer. That is your time. Um, project sponsor, you have a five minute presentation. Good afternoon, uh, President Tanner and commissioners. My name is Mimi Lee. I'm the project architect. Also with me are uh, the owners, John Tran and Kim Lee. Um, thank you for your time hearing our case today. And thank you, Mr. Woodflow and um, our planner, Ms. Jimenez, for their guidance. Um, here we have the existing building as the existing site with the DR requester on the right. This, um, our subject building is three stories and with just two units. Next slide, please. please. Um, the proposal is to add three more residential units uh, with a total of five units and two of which are family size. Um, the project also adds one ground floor commercial space 
The proposed addition is compatible to the empty district neighborhood. And shown here are the ground and second floor. Next slide, please. And third and fourth floor plans. These are not luxury condos. The three smaller units range between 550 to 715 square feet, while the larger two units are about 1,000 and 1,500 square feet. And we understand the DR requester has concerns about his light air, uh, west light, and views being affected. Um, but being in an urban setting, we also recognize that every project has an impact on the adjacent properties, and we have tried our best to reduce those impacts. Um, and next, I'll walk through the concessions we made in response to his concerns. Next, please. Um, so although our project was fully code compliant, we made our first revision to reduce the impact and address all comments from the design review team. So we removed the roof deck in order for the rear stair penthouse, which is right next to his third floor deck, to be eliminated. Um, we've also minimized that stair, uh, fourth floor roof profile and minimized the front stair penthouse profile, lowered the building by two feet, nine inches, set back the second through fourth floor by three feet for the length of 25 feet and relocate the bay to the other side. So staff was satisfied with this revision and deemed the project was ready to be noticed. Next, please. Um, after reviewing this revision, the DR requester asked for the front stair penthouse as well as the rear half of the top floor to be removed. The owner could not accommodate the drastic cut, but removed the front stair penthouse. Um, but this was not acceptable to the DR requester, so DR was filed. Next, please. The third and last revision was made after my meeting with the DR requester and Mr. Winslow. The DR requester is adamant on his request for the project to eliminate the rear half of the top floor. However, he expressed privacy concerns for the new windows facing his deck and would be willing to accept the second and third floors without any side setbacks if our fourth floor is reduced. So here, the brown fill represents the last reduction, which is 14 feet setback from the rear wall and five feet setback from the side. Um, the second and third floors have uh, no side setbacks, therefore no windows in response to his feedback. Next, please. And here is the east elevation, which adjoins the DR requester's building. Shown in red uh, dash line, the blue fills represent the areas that have been removed from the original project. The green solid line shows um, the current wall profile at the property line. And orange shows the wall profile that's set back 14 feet from the rear and five feet from the side property line. Next, please. And this is the rear elevation showing with the similar color representation of the reduction and wall profile. The DR requester is on the left. Next, please. Um, the other two elevations show the reduction as well. Next. In conclusion, um, the this is a co-compliant project and it increases the density by adding three residential units and two of which are family-sized housing. Uh, if we reduce the fourth floor, uh, it would not be family-sized. Um, the owners have made many concessions to mitigate the impact to the DR requester and, and concern. 
As a result, the top floor was one bedroom and approximately 350 square feet of living space. While our project satisfied the design guidelines, we were willing to reduce it even further to satisfy the GR requester. So we respectfully request that you approve the project as currently uh, proposed. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. If that concludes the sponsor presentation, we should open up for comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this discretionary review. If you're using WebEx, you need to raise your hand. And if you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. When you receive a request to unmute you, yourself, you need to do so. Uh, if you're on the phone, you need to press star six to unmute yourself. Through the chair, you'll each have two minutes. Ms. Everdell, you need to unmute yourself in order to submit your testimony. Okay, we'll try Mr. Ruda. Mr. Ruda. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, good afternoon. I'm, uh, I've am i lived at 285 12th Avenue, which is the property um, which uh, uh, Brendan showed you the picture of the backyard of, which looks westward towards the proposed project. Um, I've lived here for 24 years and um, the proposed project uh, at, uh, is um, has its building going into its existing backyard um, so significantly that it will block the air movement into our backyard as well as uh, the light, our afternoon uh, sunlight will be entirely blocked by this project. Almost entirely our whole backyard will be in shadow. Whereas right now about eight to nine months of the year we have uh, eight, we have afternoon sunlight um, I suffer from asthma um, and um, we are only a block and a half from Park Presidio Boulevard, which is one of the most highly trafficked boulevards in the city, uh, north to south. And um, we regularly at, in this area get soot uh, pollution from that uh, boulevard. Um, uh, and the only thing that keeps it from coming down onto our property is the the air blowing through from the ocean. Um, this property would uh, block that virtually entirely. And um, secondly, it would, uh, so that's in addition to the sunlight, uh, it would block the airflow uh, to our property and that has health and, you know, health and health effects on the residents here. Um, the uh, proposed project is larger than any other project, uh, any other building on that uh, in a residential building in our area, other than the one that's immediately to our left, which does not block the airflow. Um, 
I, I'm amenable to the project. Thank you, Mr. Ruta, but that is your time. Okay. Hi, this is Megan Patel. Should I speak or wait to be called on? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Megan Patel. I'm the owner of 28312th Avenue, which borders the uh, property in question um, to the east next to Mr. Ruda. Um, just wanted to reinforce an agree agreement with all of the objections listed um, by Mr. Meyer. The proposed construction, as Mr. Ruda also um, elaborated, would completely obstruct natural light for much of the day and airflow from both our backyard and our back patio, as well as degrading the views from the rear of our property, um, which is currently westerly views featuring uh, basically only trees uh, bordering Park Presidio. Additionally, we have some significant concerns around the potential for damage to the established root systems of trees on our property, of which we have 10, ranging in height from 15 to 20 feet, and would love to see uh, tree conservation as part of the proposed construction project. Um, we are also very in favor, in favor of um, affordable housing in the neighborhood, but I will also agree that the building and proposed property is out of scale with what um, we see in the current neighborhood. So in summary, I agree with all of the objections and the uh, requested changes proposed by Mr. Meyer as a neighbor with similar impact based on the proposed construction project. Okay, thank you. Hello? Are you yes. able to hear me? Yes, we can. Hello, board members, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate the opportunity to address you today. My name is Faye Naren and I'm in the cottage behind the proposed um, condo. I'm a disabled uh, veteran, 71 years old with PTSD, which has been the worst it's ever been the last three and a half years. The three last three months I've been improving and I'm concerned that the construction will trigger it again. I'm easily triggered by loud noises, lots of activity, stressful situations. I also suffer from chronic severe pain and recently have numerous areas of acute pain, which also exasperates my PTSD. I also have breathing issues. I have severe sleep apnea, allergies, reactive asthma. My kitchen window is the only window on the south side of my house that gives me airflow to my bedroom. If that airflow is blocked, it will have a strong effect on my health. Most of our light comes in through our skylights, some from the kitchen window. If the skylights or the window lose their light, it would greatly affect my health by triggering my PTSD further. We're not asking that the project be stopped, but we are asking for accommodation to the greatest extent you can to minimize the impact on my health. 
whatever you can do to reduce the impact is very much appreciated. And I also now have a question. It seems that it's been reduced from 25 feet from my fence to 15 feet. Is that is that correct? Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Ms. Everdell, I've sent you a second request to unmute yourself. Okay, looks like we lost Ms. Everdell. Um, if she does return and raise her hand, I'll be sure to notify you commissioners. Um, last call for public comment on this matter. You need to press star three to raise your hand if you're calling in by phone or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no additional requests to speak from members of the public, DR requester, you have a two minute rebuttal. Yes, thank you. Um, the project, Mr. Meyer, Mr. Meyer, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but before you do, oh, there was another person requesting to speak. Go ahead, but I guess they left too. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, I guess I'm unmuted. Okay. Um, the project sponsor suggests that the owners have made major changes to this project to address my concerns. I don't believe this is the case. Um, they list the following setbacks, the three um, stories to the east on the east wall, remove the roof deck, remove two stair penthouses, lower the building from three feet to four, uh, down to 40 feet, and move the rear bay from east to west. In fact, all these changes were made during the design review process with the San Francisco Belt Planning Department. I was not a party to this pro process and I had no real input other than stating my original concerns in November of 2020. Most of these changes I believe are mandated by the planning code. As an example, the original design of 2020 had the building height at 43 feet in a 40 foot zone. The code allows for an extra five feet of height in a neighborhood commercial zone if there is 50% ground floor commercial. This project has 320 feet of commercial unit on the ground floor, which equates to only 20 foot, 20% of the ground floor area. It never qualified for this special height exception and should never have been designed at 43 feet. From the beginning, I have offered to work with the owners and project sponsor to come up with the design we would all be happy with. I even offered to pay for mediation to resolve the issues. The owners declined these offers. It was only after David Winslow offered to host a meeting in December of 2022, two years after our original pre-application meeting, that I was finally able to meet with the sponsor and have a face-to-face -face discussion. From that meeting, we have the recent changes. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Everdell, I see that you've unmuted yourself. If you would like to submit your testimony now. Yes, can you hear me? We can, you have two minutes. I'm, I'm on the phone rather than the uh, the other. I couldn't 
get it to open. Um, I think what what I'm hearing is the the same concern I have, which is the the looming nature of the project. I am on the west side of the new development at 1136 Clement. I'm a landscape architect, and um, it will affect my property directly and negatively. I have four skylights, I have clear stories, and I have a, a central courtyard garden that we've developed, all of which are gonna be affected by four stories looming over our heads. Um, but even more importantly, the street itself, and I think it's indicated by all these people calling in, it's quite a unique block. It's got lovely trees, it has birds, it has butterflies. Uh, it's small scale uh, with one or two, mostly one or two story buildings, no restaurants and it's quiet. Adding a four story uh, unforgiving development uh, which is looming out of scale with the rest of the block is really ruinous to the character of the block. Um, Obviously, we all understand the need for more housing in San Francisco and that this property will be adding new housing and we're in support of that. We just hope that the planning department will see the benefit of reserving the character of our unique and very real neighborhood and decide to reduce the height of the buildings with everything else. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. so, hi, my name is. Turn that off. My name is Don Naren. I am Faye, who she just spoke. Her husband and her caregiver uh, approved by the VA, and I'm just trying to validate uh, what Faye has already told you about her PTSD. I personally know the triggers and observed the effects over many years, and try to help her reduce as much as possible with those triggers, along uh, with her psychiatrist at the VA. When her PTSD is heavily activated, she becomes very depressed, which makes her PTSD even worse. We know that your construction will be a triggering factor in our lives. And we know basically that's going to affect our airflow, which is not going to be good for her breathing and her lung issues, and the light, which will uh, activate the depression and the noise, which could easily trigger a flare up of her PTSD. We wish to minimize the effects as much as possible. We are doing many things in our own home to reduce the amount of sound that comes through our doors and windows and trying to find another way for the airflow to come in. So we're just asking that you do everything you possibly can to minimize the effect of your project on our lives. Um, and my, I don't know how this works, but my main request is sort of if the, the rear building, their building is gonna come up, sounds like 15 feet to our kitchen. We're gonna have like, a fit, and then in those 15 feet are gonna be those bicycle racks. So we're being really, it's right quick. So we're, I'm just wondering, could it just be pushed back a little farther away from our property line? And then that could, I'm not certain, allow more light and more airflow and a little more privacy. So I thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, project sponsor, or actually final last call for public comment. Again, you need to raise your hand via WebEx or press star three. 
if you're calling in remotely, seeing no additional requests. Project sponsor, you have a two-minute rebuttal. Hi, this is Mimi Lee again, Project Architect. Um, to answer the last caller's question, um, the building is actually 25 feet away from your cottage. It has never been any further than that. And the last revision, the fourth floor, is set back another 14 feet. So it's about 39 feet away uh, from your building. And um, Mr. Woodslow, can I have the extra slides? Chan, can you share your slide or the project sponsor slide? Which slide do you need, ma'am? Um, number 17. Oh, sorry. Um, the ones that start on number, no, not, not the, the, the uh, second set of slides. There we go. So I want to um, show the site uh, plan here um, with the percent of uh, lot coverage. So 100% of lot coverage is colored in pink and the yellow is 75% um, or, or less. And along uh, Clement, most of these lots are in the NCD zoning district and most of them are 100% lot coverage, including the DR requester. Um, our lot is 75%, and with the fourth floor reduced even further. Next, please. And this diagram shows the number of stories in the adjacent um, building. Purple represents four stories, orange three, yellow two, and blue being one. Um, the majority of the buildings in the immediate neighborhood are three to four stories, and this is about 88%. And only the three lots to the west are one to two stories. Uh, next, please. Also, in 1987, the DR requester has requested and received it, received conditional user variance authorizations for um, substandard lot size. Um, allowing residential use without regard. So the DR requester receives many code exceptions to build a new building without a regard while our client's code compliant project underwent many reductions. Um, it would be unfair to the client to reduce the modest housing. Thank you, that is your time. Thank you. Uh, the commissioners may have some follow-up questions for both you and the um, DR requester. But at this point, commissioners, that will conclude the public hearing portion and this discretionary review is now before you. Thank you to staff and to those who called in and the product sponsors. Um, I wanna just also highlight, I think something that has been stated, but for those who called in or who are participating may not be aware of the jargon of the Housing Accountability Act um, which my understanding of the Housing Accountability Act prevents the cities, well, the city, but also any city really a jurisdiction in California from reducing the density or size of projects that are compliant with the city's um, codes. Is that roughly accurate, Mr. Winslow? And I believe you said that applies to this project. 
So were the commission to make any changes, we really would be precluded from changing the density yeah, of the that's, project? That's correct. That's my understanding. I'll leave it to uh, our council to confirm that, but okay. um, that's my working welcome. understanding. Yeah, and mine as well. Um, so, you know, that doesn't mean that the commission couldn't make any changes, but I just want to underscore that and also that the reason behind that and the purpose of that act is to help ensure that housing can continue to contribute to the needs of every city in California and all Californians in providing the needed housing that um, we want to see. Um, I want to just understand that and, and I guess sympathize with those who've called it, especially the um, veteran, thank you for your service, who's concerned about the impacts of the construction and the changes um, that are going to be occurring. But I think even as the project sponsor said, there's even going to be a further distance from that cottage, this property and the cottage, um, and notwithstanding the construction impacts, which are real, and I don't know that a smaller building necessarily means the construction noise and things like that is less, um, it still would be something that would unfortunately impact um, you during that, that temporary period of time. Ms. Jensen, did you want to address anything with the Housing Accountability Act? Yes, thank you, President Tanner. I just wanted to make clear uh, the Housing Accountability Act doesn't say that the commission cannot deny a project that's subject to the act. It says that the commission must make certain specified findings in order to deny or reduce the density. So only if the commission felt that it was able to make those findings would it be appropriate to deny or reduce density of such a project. So I just wanted to put a little bit of a finer point on the um, housing accountability issue. Great, and I think the part of that is around findings of uh, public health safety that the findings would need to be made to deny um, the approval of the, the project. Yes, that's correct. Thank you very much. Um, so with that, um, you know, I think it's interesting actually, you know, looking at the slide that the uh, project sponsor showed just around the lot coverage of the adjacent properties that there's quite a bit of lot coverage, 100% lot coverage or at least significant lot coverage nearby and is adjacent to a fairly um, large scale building compared to some of the other lower scale buildings. Um, and it seemed to me on that block, at least just looking at the images and Google images, that there's a quite a kind of a little bit of a zigzag where there's some shorter buildings and then taller buildings and shorter building and taller building and it's kind of continuing perhaps a transition towards um, more high density buildings in this particular um, block um, of Clement Street. So I don't see any um, exceptional extraordinary circumstances, but do welcome comments from other commissioners. Commissioner Moore. Uh, I do not see exceptional extraordinary comments and that the kind of densification seems to be sensitively modified based on staff's guidance to really tweak the building in areas where it needed to be tweaking. Uh, I am comfortable with what's in front of us and I actually um, see this type of building uh, to be more common as we move forward to look for densification. Again, there will always be impacts. Change is hard for any of us and I do understand neighbors' concerns. However, I do see this building as cool compliant and sensitively executed to be something that has my support. I also want to commend the architect in really standing in the battle for modifications and really well explaining it to the commission. There's hardly anything that would change that she did not very thoughtfully document and made us understand of how these things work with each other. So I wanted to add that comment as thank you. And I'm in support and I would make a motion to not take DR um. and uh, to take DR, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, take DR and uh, approve the project as modified. Um, yes. 
I need to turn back to my motion. Yes, here we go. Second. I see Commissioner Braun requesting to speak. I just uh, was going to note that uh, we need to take DR, so the, the modified motion is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you, thank you. So did I hear correctly that the motion was to take DR and approve with staff proposed modifications? You're correct, uh, Secretary. Thank you. Um, on that motion then, to take DR and approve with staff modifications. They aren't staff modifications. They're modifications already provided by the project sponsor in the, as um, referenced in the drawings dated. Uh, August 8, 2022. Thank you. Is that clear, Secretary? Well, if they're already made, then they're we're not modifying anything, right? We're, they're modifying what we, they're modifications from what had been previously noticed. So, in a significant enough manner that requires, I believe, requires the commission to take DR and approve the modifications. Fine. Okay. So the motion is to take DR and approve the modifications that have already been submitted to to the department. On that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. Commissioner Moore. Aye. And Commission President Tanner. Aye. So move commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero and concludes your first hearing of 2023. I look forward to returning to City Hall next week. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully without any rain, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so thank much, you. Secretary and your staff for um, uh, shepherding us through this meeting. Happy New Year, everyone. Indeed, yeah. happy thank New you. Year. Great to see you. Bye. Bye.